Welcome to the Real Talk with Dana podcast. I'm your host, Dana Monsi's licensed dietitian, nutritionist, and body image coach. On this show, you'll learn how to listen to and trust your body instead of trying to control it. We'll dig into the healing power of nutrition from a non-diet, weight-inclusive, health-at-every-size approach. My guests and I will guide you through how to heal from digestive issues and hormonal imbalances, all while making peace with food and your body without obsession or restriction. Hey there, friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Real Talk with Dana podcast. So we are still in January, so we're still rocking with the theme for this month's episodes, which is pursuing true health and feeling good without the need for diets or elimination protocols or any shame-based New Year's resolutions. So I'm super excited for you guys to hear today's episode. Our guest is Lauren Gertzen, who is a body connection coach and a nutrition consultant and the author of the new book, The Invisible Corset, Break Free from beauty culture and embrace your radiant self. So in today's episode, you'll learn about Lauren's journey from being diagnosed with an autoimmune disease at age 14 to becoming a nutrition consultant focusing on food as medicine to transforming her business into becoming a body connection coach focusing on liberating women from unrealistic beauty standards. Lauren, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I'm really excited to have this chat. Um, have been super excited to have you on ever since I heard of your new book, which will be coming out the day before this episode airs, actually. Um, so we're recording this like a week in advance. But so I want to learn a little bit more about your journey, which I know you've talked about extensively before on your website. But for any new listeners who don't know who you are, tell them a little bit about you and your work as a body connection coach and a nutrition consultant. Absolutely. So my journey, like so many of us in the field of of holistic wellness, started with my own health issues. I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, which is a very extreme autoimmune disease when I was 14. And I spent a lot of time as a teenager in and out of the hospital. I did everything my doctors told me to a T, which meant that, you know, I took the medications they gave me and then I took more meds for the side effects that the first meds created. And, you know, strangely enough, I just kept getting sicker because, you know, that tends to be what happens when you silence symptoms. So when I was 18, I was essentially bedridden. I had to drop out of college and I was told by my doctors that my last remaining option was a surgery that would remove part of my colon uh, since the medications had failed. And they also told me that this wasn't really a long-term solution because what tends to happen is the disease just continues to progress to like previously unaffected uh, tissues. So I'd probably have to have repeated surgeries like this in my lifetime. And that sounded like a death sentence. And I just, it was my dark night of the soul moment. I couldn't imagine a life like that. So I had this one moment shortly after where it was like a book jumped off the bookshelf at me and it outlined a dietary protocol on how to heal um, ulcerative colitis through nutrition. And my doctors had told me up until that point that nutrition, you know, wouldn't really help me. But in that moment, it was really the first time in, in my adult life where I remember clearly hearing my intuition. And it was like this little whisper inside me that said, I have to try this. And so within three days of starting this dietary protocol, 
my acute symptoms were gone. And that was literally felt like a miracle. And then within three months, I was off all of my medications. And that was the point in my life where I felt such an impetus to start sharing what I had learned and how I healed. I trained as a nutritional therapist and started my health website, Empowered Sustenance. And I, I had this big paradigm shift through this process. You know, Western medicine tells us, especially those of us with autoimmune diseases, your body is trying to kill you. Like, you know, that's literally the message we get. And the idea that we need pharmaceuticals to intervene and save us from our own bodies. And when I healed myself through nutrition, I had this paradigm shift of, oh my gosh, my body knew how to heal me the whole time. I just needed to listen to her and to change the environment that she was in and to change what I was eating and even how I was thinking. And so I began to realize in order to get to the deeper layers of healing for both myself and also my clients, you know, because there's often this place where we hit a wall um, after changing our diet, we, we get a, a certain amount of freedom and then we feel like we hit a wall and we know there's more healing on the other side, but we don't really know how to get over that wall. Um, and what I was realizing was, oh, you know, in order to do that, we need to graduate from the rule book and learn how to listen to our own bodies at a deeper level and get back in touch with that intuitive wisdom within ourselves, not only around what we're eating, but also around our life choices. And, and it was at that point that I realized one of the biggest barriers for women was these internalized beliefs we have from beauty culture, that our body is something to control and dominate um, and own. So that was the, the big wake up for me where I realized, oh, we are in an invisible corset. I love that. Well, not that you had to go through that, obviously, but you know, the explanation. <laughs> I um, get it. <laughs> and I love that you said, you know, it was in order to progress in your healing, it was time to graduate from the rule book. I think that's such a powerful message, especially as someone who has been a nutrition consultant, right? Because when we look at the training that we receive as practitioners, a lot of the time, it's very similar to the paradigm that's expressed in Western medicine. It's like, oh, you have this problem? Here's this pharmaceutical. When we go to the food is medicine realm, a lot of the time, it can be, oh, you have this problem? Okay, here's this dietary protocol. And you have to be on this forever in order to manage your autoimmune disease or manage your digestive symptoms. But then obviously that's not realistic for life. So thinking about and even giving people that permission slip of like, okay, true healing and long-term healing comes from graduating from that rule book might even be a radical idea for some people. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And the guide that I use with my clients and with myself of like, when is it time to start moving beyond the rule book is when you no longer feel like you're getting more freedom from the restricted diet. So there was a long time in my life, years where I felt completely free within those restrictions because I was getting my life back. I was getting my soul back. Um, and then I got to a point where I was like, hmm, you know, I had this feeling I would feel more free now if I could uh, have more variety in my diet. Um, and if I could actually start addressing things on a, an emotional and spiritual level, uh, instead of just having more of this myopic view, um, kind of obsessive myopic view around food. So 
that's where, where I can give guidance of when do you know it's time to move beyond that restricted protocol is if you feel like it's not giving you any more freedom. Exactly. And funny backstory for people for how Lauren and I first connected more one-sided years ago was I had just, I had found Lauren's work and her website on empowered sustenance when I first got diagnosed with celiac disease. And then after that, when I was first starting my blog and I was looking for other people that were going through similar situations that were following similar dietary modalities. Cause at that time doing the autoimmune protocol or a digestive healing protocol, there were no food blogs that were talking about that. And I didn't want to just be eating boring food forever. Cause I was like, okay, just restriction for the sake of restriction is not working here. And also I hate boring food. So that's kind of how I found Lauren in the first place. And then recently how we reconnected, my friend had told me about her new book, which we were going to be talking about. And I'm so excited to talk about. And then I was like, wait a minute, this name sounds really familiar. And I was like, oh my God, years and years ago, when I first started my blog, yours was one of the first websites that I actually followed for food and nutrition information. So fun, full circle connection here. Yeah, that is such a cool synchronicity. And then seeing how you had already progressed, you you had really come full circle in, uh, as well with moving into intuitive eating um, and helping people heal from diet mentality. It was really, it was so cool that our paths crossed when they did. Yes, I love that so much. And, you know, we, ca- we were kind of talking about this a little bit before we started recording, but I haven't met too many people who were firmly in the, you know, food as medicine, food for healing camp and really digging into nutrition science who have since then still used that background, but now approach nutrition in a more like neutral way and really focus hard on like health at every size and the body image aspect of things. Because I feel like there are a lot of people that have just kind of come to like the middle ground and they're like oh no we don't talk about diets anymore but they don't go you know hard on the other side of things like no our body image and our relationship with food is a huge roadblock to healing and achieving like true health and happiness with food and with movement and with our bodies yeah absolutely so I want to start off by talking about food Um, and I know you've written about orthorexia and the kind of different uh, viewpoints that people have on orthorexia as a diagnosis or if it's just, you know, healthy eating or whatever it is. So I, w- I would love if you could talk about orthorexia and a fear-based versus a love-based relationship with food. Mm, great question. Yeah, this really, again, comes down to that uh, choice around, does it give you more freedom? And you know, when I'm working with a client at this point, most people come to me when they've already achieved a certain degree of healing through nutrition, right? A lot of them have found me through empowered sustenance and they have found that because they struggled with some autoimmunity um, or dietary um, allergens and, and food sensitivities. And then they get to this point where they start to think, huh, Am I being too obsessive around food? Am I too fearful around food? And what I think about is the advice that people are given in Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, I've read that I I haven't had issues with alcohol personally, but I just read this great memoir called Drinking a Love Story. And the author says, um, you know, only alcoholics sit around wondering, do I have a problem with alcohol? And it's very similar. Only people who are um, 
in that place of, of food obsession and kind of a self-imposed food prison are sitting around with that inkling in the back of their mind thinking, huh, do I have a problem with over restricting and over controlling food? Or, huh, do I have a problem with um, over controlling my body size? So that's a really great indicator there that it's coming from more of that hate or fear-based mentality, right? And in those situations, it's super liberating and empowering to learn that some of the um, stubborn dietary issues that you might still be having on a restricted protocol, right? Whether that's, you know, indigestion, bloating, gas, and food reactions, you know, those can be due to food, um, but they can also be due to the fear and anxiety you have around food. They can be phys uh, psychological reactions that manifest physically. So they're just as valid and real as if you're actually reacting to the food. But what can be happening is, you know, because fear and stress puts us in that fight or flight state where we don't digest properly, um, you know, and because the subconscious mind is so powerful, it can manifest as a, as physical symptoms. So, um, if, if you, if people are starting to have those inklings, then, then I would recommend, um, it's time to take your journey deeper to start looking at the energetic, the mental and the spiritual levels of healing. So you can get beyond food restriction. Does that make sense? Yes. A hundred percent. And I'm so glad you brought up the psychological response and how it can manifest as a physical response because I talk about that a lot but I find it's really helpful for people to hear it from more than one voice on a podcast unprompted right and from <laughs> other sources and it's so true like you know whether digestive symptoms are a really easy manifestation as a way to see this right and we've talked about on this podcast the gut brain access and then the adrenal response and the thyroid response and all of that can be um, impacted by our relationship with food and the thoughts that we have around controlling our food or attempting to control our bodies. And it is so important to realize that, yes, you could have a food sensitivity or intolerance or just, you know, not tolerate a food very well in that it can give you physical symptoms, but those symptoms could also be caused by the stress and anxiety around those foods. And then by consequence, what's happening in the body when you're eating them that then causes those symptoms. Yes, totally. And something else that it sounds, this is going to sound a little crazy for people if it might be hard for some people to hear this, but there comes a point where you can kind of just decide, um, I'm not going to have all these food sensitivities. I made that decision in my own life and it was terrifying and strange. And I've helped my clients make that choice too. But here's why that works for some people, because subconsciously, People are holding on to those food reactions and the extreme food sensitivities because it gives them an excuse not to move forward in their life. It gives them an excuse to stay stuck, to stay obsessed and thinking about food 24 seven, because um, you know, if you're doing that, then you have an out from making really difficult, scary choices in your relationship or your career or your family life. And so that's really the deeper spiritual level of healing that I facilitate for my clients a lot is I'm like, okay, let's, let's look at what um, you, you're trying to procrastinate on in your life or avoid in your life. Let's look at how your food reactions, they're very real, but let's look at how they might be subconsciously serving the job uh, as an out or an excuse 
for you moving forward in your life. And uh, when they can start to actually deal with the bigger issues in their life, they realize, oh, I, I, their, their subconscious actually realizes, oh, I don't need to hold on to those food issues anymore. Exactly. Yeah. So what are some of the other subconscious reasons that people might struggle with their relationship with food? Well, a big one that I see is uh, particularly around weight. And it's this belief of, you know, if I'm at this larger body size, then people won't take me seriously in my job, especially because I work with a lot of holistic practitioners. Um, you know, so there's this concept that, you know, people correlate health to looking a certain way and my clients aren't going to trust my advice if I look this way or, um, you know, I don't look professional enough. And, you know, as I'm sure you've talked about and I talk about in my book, fat discrimination and these prejudices are are a thing in our world and slash but they are really nothing compared to how I see the strongest women hold themselves back with these beliefs. And I have the privilege of working with extraordinarily strong, successful, intelligent women. And it's like a double-edged sword because, because they are so strong and um, strong-willed and, and intelligent in their life, they can actually turn that power against themselves and that's the degree to which they hold themselves back. Um, so that's where we look at, uh, okay, you know, why are you holding on to this belief that your body isn't good enough? And oftentimes it's because it, it, it's uncomfortable for them to take scary steps in their business. It's uncomfortable for them to, you know, call up a business coach for the first time or invest in their marketing or, um, you know, uh, put themselves out there in whatever way that looks like, or if it's outside of the holistic health realm, progressing their career in other ways and taking those uncomfortable steps, setting boundaries in other places of their life. So in, in that case, their, their body obsession and body size concern um, is, is, again, playing a role in um, subconscious self-limitation. Yeah. And I find it's so important to talk about that too, because when we think about the roots of why our body image and our perception of ourselves may be a root cause or one of the contributing factors to a, let's call it like a rocky or complicated relationship with food, when in, especially in the Western culture, health is associated with body size, if people are in a larger body size, then they assume and are told by the medical profession and basically everywhere you turn because of fat phobia and weight discrimination that, oh, you should be in a smaller body because they equate that with being healthier. What is the way that people tell us to achieve a smaller body is to eat less and exercise more. So then food becomes one of the main culprits of this pressure on all sides, especially on women, but really on everyone in Western society. And then it makes sense as to, oh, okay, if I'm having a lot of issues with my relationship with food and chronic illness can play a piece in this too, obviously, but that can mm -hmm. be a piece. Trauma can be a piece, right? Body image can be a piece. It's really important to look at this from a holistic mindset rather than just, oh, I just have an issue with food. Completely. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Speaking of everything that you were just talking about, the different messages that women have received over the years in relation to this appearance and how this can, these messages can mimic and create this kind of gaslighting as it relates to women's appearance that makes them feel like they have to be a certain way, but only because of the messages they've been receiving. 
tell the listeners a little bit more about psychological gaslighting as it relates to women's appearance. So what I talk about in the book is how the beauty industry is a psychological abuser. Um, This lands for a lot of women when they can think about situations of psychological abuse they've had in their own life. Maybe they've had a narcissistic parent or partner um, or a psychologically abusive partner. And the goal of a psychological abuser is not to uh, help champion your soul and encourage you and help you to be happy and confident, although they may say that's their intention. Um, but their actual goal is to exploit your sexuality or your finances or your energy, sometimes all three or sometimes a combination of those um, kind of intrinsic assets uh, that women have. And so one of the big pieces is when healing your relationship with food and body image is recognizing those psychologically abusive tactics um, as they occur in beauty messaging and beauty marketing. So there are these parallels that happen, whether you're in kind of an abusive dynamic with an individual or an industry or even a a cult-like religion or association. so can I, is it, can I share some of those tactics, like these, these big red flags to what to look for? Oh yeah, of course. Go ahead. Okay. Um, so the first one is that the abuser or the system is going to keep you stressed and uh, in kind of a state of anxiety. Uh, and so be- the beauty industry accomplishes this by telling us to fear the natural expression of our body, whether that is fear your aging process, fear your body changing with childbirth or menopause, um, fear the natural spectrum of your emotions. Pharmaceutical industry has done a great job in accomplishing that fear. Um, Fear your intuition or spirituality or the natural expression of your sexuality, Um, you know, the porn and the commodification of, of women's bodies. Those industries have done a great job in making women fear our sexuality our natural expression of our sexuality. And so that fear keeps us in this, keeps us deeply entrenched in this subconscious, um, you know, and fight or flight state. Well, when a person is in that state, they are actually disconnected from their intuition. There's some really interesting research done by Stephen Porges, a leading neuroscientist, and he talks about how the vagus nerve, this, if you've talked about the gut brain axis before, this is uh, probably a piece there. Um, so the vagus nerve is what facilitates communication between the brain and the organs in the body. So when we are in a fight or flight state, uh, vagus nerve connectivity and communication is greatly decreased. When we are in a parasympathetic or that rest or digest state where we are calm, we're clear, we're relaxed, what happens is our intuitive messages from our gut, our intuitive messages that are subconsciously being picked up by our body can better travel to our brain to be interpreted. So we're gonna be more intuitive, we're gonna be more able to make in alignment choices. Um, So an abuser is going to keep us in a stressed and anxious place so we can't access our intuition. It's very intentional. Um, Another red flag to look for is that uh, in in a similar way, the abuser or the abusive system 
busy, you know, filling all of your free time. Uh, because then again, you're not going to have as much uh, choice to reflect uh, or time to reflect on your choices. You're not going to have the opportunity to, um, to be reflective, to look inward, to get off the hamster wheel. So the beauty industry absolutely accomplishes this by giving women first eight step skincare routines. And now I think we're up to like 24 step skincare routines. Uh, it's crazy, you know, filling all of our time with um, these different ways to change and obsess about our body truly. Uh, there's no max. I mean, you, the body as it's presented by the beauty industry is a perpetual self-improvement project. Um, so that's a that's uh, one of the techniques of, of the beauty industry uh, as it's a psychological abuser. And I would say the third big red flag to look for is if the individual or the, the group or industry is preoccupied with making money. And that is another sign of if um, there's abusive dynamics happening. And so this is one of the giveaways for uh, culty religions or culty pyramid schemes um, or industries that don't care about uh, human fulfillment. And so it's certainly true if we look at the beauty industry, you know, what they mask as self-care and empowerment. They put these nice labels on it, but when we really get down to it, it's not about helping women truly feel better and feel happy and confident. It's about them, this industry, perpetually making money. So that is a third big red flag to look for. Exactly. And I know you talk about this a lot, lot more in the book, which we're also going to talk about. So if you guys haven't figured it out already, you need to get Lauren's book. <laughs> we'll talk about it more, but it's going to be amazing. And I'm so excited for when it comes out. So another thing I want to talk about is if you could go more into some of the main issues with the body positivity movement and why these issues can often make self-criticism even worse for those who are trying to improve their body, body image and self-perception by looking to body positivity. Mm, great question. You know, the body positivity movement and the leaders in that movement, they've helped me tremendously on my journey. And I, I just want to say that because they were really the pioneers in this arena. Um, so I'm grateful. And I think that the underlying message there is a little off the mark because the idea of body positivity is everybody is beautiful. Your cellulite is beautiful. Your wrinkles are beautiful. Um, your butt is beautiful. Uh, your stretch marks are beautiful. Well, the problem there is that it still keeps the emphasis on a woman's value is beauty. And you have to translate every aspect of your physical body into beauty in order to feel good about yourself. Rather than what I think is the deeper work here is looking at why are women subconsciously equating our worth to our beauty? Why do we need to see ourselves as beautiful, um, as culturally beautiful to feel confident and happy and empowered? So that's, you know, there's new terms that have been popping up, body liberation, body neutrality. I love those terms. And um, 
I, you know, I wasn't aware of them when I started writing The Invisible Corset, but it really is this cool movement that's happening in the world right now where I see people landing on these ideas, um, kind of like, uh, so when, when Darwin came up with his concept of um, natural selection and was writing about evolution, well, there was what was called co-discovery of that idea. Somebody in a different part of the world was also coming up with that concept um, without talking to Darwin. And so I think that that happens quite frequently when the world is going through um, a growth phase where co-evolution of our co-discovery, uh, co-manifestation of similar ideas are happening. And I see that in the progression of let's move away from body positivity and let's move into helping women disconnect and deprogram uh, the belief that our value comes from interpreting our bodies as beautiful. Yes. And I would definitely say that the world is currently going through a very painful growth spurt, <laughs> if that's a nice mm -hmm. way to put it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, <laughs> the week that we're chatting, I mean, there's just a lot of intensity, uh, a lot of intensity in the world right now. And something that I've been talking a lot with my clients and um, in my, my videos that I'm putting out is the human body is the most effective and accurate truth sensing device that's available to us. So it's no accident that we've been systematically divorced from our bodies and our intuition, because the more a society is separated from our bodies, the more women are wearing the invisible corset, um, the farther we will get from reality and the more we will live in illusion. So I really think that to solve some of the fundamental problems that we're facing right now, especially the d divisiveness and the self-righteousness and the anger um, is reconnecting with our bodies and our ability to feel our intuition and actually sense truth from illusion. Yes, exactly. So Speaking of some of the institutionalized issues that we're dealing with lately um, and about the origins of the body positivity movement, um, I'm going to ask you a question and then I'm going to issue a disclaimer before <laughs> I want you to answer mm -hmm. and you probably know where I'm going here. But I want to talk a little bit more about some of the ways that racism has dominated the history of beauty and appearance culture that still continues today. So one, two-part disclaimer here. First, I know you mentioned that you talk about this more in the book. So definitely, guys, if you want to learn more about this, go read it. And other disclaimer, we are two white women talking about this, but this isn't something that I felt like we could skip over in the beauty conversation. And I just wanted to make sure we talked about it more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up. It was eye-opening for me when I started doing deeper research on racism in the beauty industry I had been, you know, somewhat aware and I've, I, of how racism feeds into our thin obsession um, and how that was a big factor in the early 1900s um, when white people wanted more of a class distinction from immigrants who were coming in. And so now that um, at this point, actually race was becoming less of a, somewhat less of a class distinction, but they're, they're still, they, people were still clinging on to this idea of we need a social hierarchy. And so they wanted to 
have some visual separate separate distinction from the stockier immigrants who were coming in. And so that was one big factor in our, in our current thin obsession. I think that's a really interesting history to understand. Um, and again, these really insidious manifestations that come up around uh, the Eurocentric white standard of beauty. I didn't know before I started researching for this book that Iran, for example, is called the nose job capital of the world because uh, smaller Western shaped noses are kind of a class and status symbol there. And so even if some people are born with, you know, the straighter nose in Iran, they'll walk around with a bandage on their face temporarily as if they've had rhinoplasty because that's a, a status symbol that you can change your body to look more Eurocentric. Um, we can look at the high rates of eyelid surgery in Asia as well, changing your eye shape to look more Western. Um, so what I find can really land for white women is it, it can be really interesting to look at these examples and we're like, oh yeah, that's obviously kind of um, self-imposed racism. Like these people have swallowed Eurocentric racist beliefs and so they are inflicting pain and abuse upon their bodies. Um, instead of deprogramming those racist values. Um, and that's true, right? And we can also look at, well, what are we doing that's pretty similar to that? We have, as white women, we've had uh, internalized misogynistic values. We are uh, self-imposing abuse and harm on our bodies because we've solved those values. Look at how many women get facelifts or Botox, which is literally injecting sexism into your face, right? <laughs> like literally cutting up your body to fit a inherently patriarchal standard of beauty. Um, so that's how I see one big parallel, uh, how we can, as white women, self-reflect on that. Yeah, and this obviously goes so deep. And there are also many, many resources in addition to Lauren's book that we can direct you to so you can hear this perspective from non-white women, right? <laughs> so mm -hmm, that's absolutely. definitely another thing that we would recommend doing. Um, but Lauren, this has been amazing. I have loved all of these topics. So please tell people where they can find you and where they can find your book. Yeah. So as we've mentioned, my uh, holistic health website is empoweredsustenance.com. And I am at body underscore connection underscore coach on Instagram. And uh, the invisible corset that's currently on, on pre-order when you're listening to this it will be out in all major booksellers um, on amazon you can also go to invisiblecorset.com to pre-order the book and there's a i have a free body reconnection 101 course you can get as a gift with purchase so that's fun to take some of these um deeper body reconnecting practices these intuitive um, practices uh, into your life at a deeper level. Oh, yay. That's amazing. I didn't know about the course. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you again so, so much for coming on. And I'm so excited to get this episode out to the listeners. Oh, thank you, Dana. It's so great to chat with you. Hey there. Thanks for listening to the Real Talk with Dana podcast with me, your host, Dana, obviously. And I just wanted to say, you're the best. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your family and friends. Maybe send a five-star rating and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. 
Why would you do that, you ask? Because this helps more people find the show so that we can spread the food and body peace word, break down diet culture, and the unrealistic beauty standards that make us all feel like we need to shrink ourselves with food and exercise in order to be worthy in the world, which sucks. For discussion on the show episodes, if you want to request a guest or ask a question, if you'd like some support, please join the non-diet community on Facebook, which is a free group where you can go get some community and support. I'll see you over there and see you next week.